0: listeners, I'm Arnetta Larimer, host of Impacting in the Classroom, the podcast where we like to talk about the broader challenges and trends facing the early education field. I am in my own backyard this episode, so filming <laughs> with wonderful people in Louisiana. I'm joined by Nasha Patel. Nasha, can you please introduce yourself to the- oh, um,
1: Hi. My name is Nash Patel. I'm a managing director with Watershed Advisors, a small consulting company, but in a former life, I worked for the Louisiana Department of Education and Early Childhood.
0: Wonderful, welcome, good seeing you again. Great to see well, you too. <laughs> we're also joined with Sarintha Strickland. Ms. Sarintha, welcome.
2: Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm Sorentha Strickland. I'm a consultant in early education and I spend most of my consulting time with the Jefferson Parish Ready Start Network and I serve in essence as the executive director for the Jefferson Network.
0: Wonderful. Again, I am looking forward (laughs) to this conversation, especially one that's, like I said, just right in my backyard. I've known you guys in my previous life when I worked at NSU Child and Family Network. So good connecting with you guys again. Both of you have worked together to support the state of Louisiana as they've worked to define quality early education throughout the state and their local parishes. So let's get to the meat. (laughs) On one of our last episodes last season, we talked about the shift in quality rating and improvement systems away from emphasizing the rating and putting more of a focus on creating a culture of continuous improvement. Nasha, can you tell us about your upcoming publication on QRIS that you've been working on with Watershed Advisors?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And thanks for asking that question. So with, in Watershed, we've been thinking a lot with the different states that we're working with, but also in the national context on what we did in Louisiana around QRIS and where there's sort of opportunities to pull out the parts of the system that made the most sense. And that could be sort of most replicable in other places. We've worked with a number of states that are dissatisfied with the way their QRIS system is working now and are contemplating some kind of shift, whether it's smaller in terms of what they're measuring or how they're measuring it or what they're paying the most attention to to larger sort of like, do we start over and think about this differently? And so to help states and other folks who are helping states, you know, whether they're policymakers or nonprofits or advocacy groups or different folks who are thinking about and putting brain power towards what could an effective QRIS look like in our state, we've put together a white paper that we think tries to identify some of the common pitfalls of of a typical QRIS and some of the direction that we took in Louisiana, as well as in other states that we see sort of promising best practices doing to address that. So thinking about really QRIS, quality rating and improvement as a whole system, as something that should be reaching scale, that should include all providers, but especially those that are accepting public funds. And that should be truly measuring the experiences that children are having that help parents providers, teachers, everyone who's sort of a stakeholder in that understand and help drive improvement, as you said, every day in those classrooms and those centers.
0: Wonderful. You were talking about some of those pitfalls, right? I love what we did in Louisiana. It's really become a model for a lot of states across the country, right? (laughs) Like groundbreaking stuff happened. What were some of the pitfalls um, that you identified in your white paper?
1: Yeah, and I think too what Louisiana did was really different in the moment that it happened, mm-hmm. and many states have made changes towards what Louisiana did, but I don't know that it's necessarily sort of a copy and paste type approach, right? Every state's going to have different things that they want to think about when they design their QRIS, and what we wanted to do in this in this white paper is talk about the things that mattered the most to us. So well, number one, we wanted to make sure we were measuring the right things. We wanted to make sure that our QRIS was focused on exactly what we thought mattered most to improving outcomes for kids and for their families. And so with that, we focused on class. And that is our 100% of our quality rating and improvement system. It is the interactions that children are having in the classrooms. We, We report on other metrics. We provide transparency around teacher credentials and curriculum use and ratios, other things that we know really matter to the child experience. But the number one thing that we're rating and focusing improvement resources on are those interactions. And then we designed our system to really support improvement on that thing. So we focused our system to help make sure that when we were putting out professional development resources, when we were putting out curriculum resources, when we were putting out grants to help centers acquire more materials or do trainings, we were bringing it back to that core component, adult-child interactions. So we both wanted to make sure we were measuring and then supporting that thing. So what you'll see in our white paper is that exact note. Focus on measuring the thing that matters the most. Make sure that it's uncomplicated when you're describing it in your QRIS, and your rating. And then make sure that those improvement systems and the funds that you're tying to those improvement systems support that focus, are deeply aligned to that, and can, in essence, sort of drive improvement towards the thing that you are saying matters the most in your rating. Another thing that we lifted up in our white paper is the need to make sure that your QRIS is providing meaningful information to families. In other words, that this rating that centers are working so hard to get that teachers and providers and directors and TA staff and all these resources and states are being sort of put towards getting and improving actually means something to the families who are looking at it when they're making decisions about where to send their children. So it needs to be able to communicate to families a difference. A one-star should mean something different than a two-star, than a three-star, or whatever rating you're using, and that should be clear when a family looks at it. Too often, QRISs can sort of jump from one level to the next, so If you don't understand the difference between a two-star and a three-star, you may think it's the same as the difference between a one and a two-star, and that's not always the case. Or maybe all programs aren't included in that rating system and families are left to sort of figure out what that means and why. So just make sure that you're thinking about when a family looks at these ratings, what does it mean and what decisions should they be making based on that? And then the last point I want to make, sorry, just one more. is no, make sure all of them. <laughs> When you are tying funding to that rating and to that improvement system, that it's not in any way going to exacerbate inequities and reduce opportunities to improve quality. So oftentimes reimbursements or other incentives can be tied to QRIS. And that's a good thing. We know that quality costs and we should be funding it, but It should not in any way be so high stakes, that funding that's attached to that rating, such that families can't use their subsidy at a lower rated QRIS center, even if that's the only one that's in their community, because it doesn't cover the cost. So just be thoughtful about how funding is being tied to a QRIS. And again, these are decisions different states are going to make in their own context. There's no one size fits all here. Um, That's certainly not what I'm advocating, but just to think about as you are setting up this system, as you are trying to bring it to scale, what will it mean for families who are using your subsidy? What will it mean for providers who are trying to improve day in and day out? And what will it mean for the teachers in that system? Because the goal is to make sure every center can reach the level of quality that's articulated in your focused QRIS.
0: Yeah, and all of those pieces have to work together in order to have the outcomes that we want. They're not separate siloed, pieces, they all are interconnected and it has to work as a well-oiled machine together. And so, and yes, and if you focus on the foundation of the interactions and the importance of those interactions and how it impacts children, well, you know, I can keep on talking, like it's class. So <laughs> I could do that like all day. But that foundation is very important to those outcomes. So leaning into that, all those other pieces fall into place, right? And really give us a clear picture of what's happening. Yeah. And areas. in
1: hindsight, we can look back and say, oh, you know, having this focus really worked well. It was a hypothesis to start. And the work that Sarintha and others in Louisiana did to say, okay, The state is giving us a focused QRIS. What does that mean for our work? And how are we spending our time and our resources, which are limited, especially in a state like Louisiana? What does that mean for what we do? That really transformed the system in Louisiana and made it such that when we said this is the focused quality rating and improvement system, this is what we're targeting, this is what we're aligning all of our resources to, it meant that teachers across our system had start child care and preschool teachers could know and learn and understand what exactly we were talking about when we said quality because of the work of Serentha and others to make that real in their communities.
0: Well, and it was so beneficial for the children because first of all, I want to say that when that initiative happened it was great to connect those different entities right child care head start public schools we all had the same goal but we were all very separated so we created this common language and this common vision this common trajectory for our students and so it didn't matter like where when they left there was no dropping the ball and picking back up like it was just this continuity that it created for the children which I think elevated
2: that experience and the success in the state as well. Yeah. And I could jump in here. It certainly did. But as we think about the rollout and we think about that initial work, I mean, it's hard to remember because Louisiana has been doing this for many years now, but that initial rollout was not so simple and smooth. And to continue to use the sort of class analogies or parallels is that initial rollout, at least in Jefferson and what I know about many other parishes in Louisiana. And I think other states who are considering such a rollout have to think about the time and attention to building relationships. Mm -hmm. One thing that's unique that Louisiana did is create networks at the local level with a lead agency or a point, an entity that served as the point of contact to roll the system out and there was a lot of time and attention that had to go to building the relationships because of the diversity of the landscape as we know when we look across the country that programs are so different and generally speaking our private childcare aren't necessarily collaborating with early head start head start school system and what might be somewhat unique in louisiana is a whole system of parochial schools that have publicly funded seats as well so We spent a lot of energy and put a lot of work into building those relationships because those programs initially saw one another as the competition. And they were either, they thought they were competing for children. Oftentimes they were competing for teachers. And we saw that system where as teachers got more credentials, they moved from working in childcare often too head start, and then into school systems. So we had to Be very creative in how we pulled these vastly different groups together and had to have a lot of data to show they were not competing for the same children because even to this day, many years later, we're serving very small percentages of our children in publicly funded or publicly subsidized seats. So that relationship building was key, just like it is when we think about experiences for children in classrooms.
1: That I want to really highlight that point, sorry, just really quickly, is that, you know, the state had a vision for a unified QRIS, the state had a vision for what it meant to align resources to that QRIS, but the state also knew that we couldn't do this work from Baton Rouge, right? It took leaders like Sarintha, it took leaders like the folks in North Louisiana, and even in sort of our most rural parishes in every part of the state, it took leadership, it took folks stepping to the table and saying, I believe in this. And this is a lot of hard work. And I'm the person, I'm the face, I'm the one who's gonna pull these folks together on behalf of kids and families in my community and turn this vision into something that's actually real and workable. And so, one of the things that's maybe not as reflected in this paper, but is a a deep, deep belief of mine is that states have to turn to localities and empower and believe in and invest in local leadership to really drive outcomes for kids and families because they are the ones who know and understand their community, who are able to build and foster those relationships, and who are ultimately going to come up with the ideas and the plans that make this work the most successful. Some of the best strategies that already starts across Louisiana are adapting now came from the early years of the pilot, where the state said, what are your best ideas for this to happen? And community leaders were the ones who said, this is what we think has to happen to drive towards a seven on class across the board. This is what we need to do and put our resources towards. And they tested it and they proved that they were right. And we were able to find opportunities to scale. So that didn't come from the state. That came from local leadership. And so I, I just want to sort of emphasize or highlight Sarant this point that the state can only do so much. And ultimately, it really falls to making sure that you're building and investing and supporting these whatever your local leadership structure is to carry out the plans, be a sounding board or a thought partner to them, raise examples of what's happening in other places in the state or even nationally, and make sure that you're providing them the information, the data, and ultimately the resources they need to make their plan successful. Yeah. Thank you for that.
0: Yeah, I was talking about this parallel process, right? We talk about class and building relationships and you know that educator child, you know, importance. This adult Adults, (laughs) those interactions are just as important and mirroring that in your interactions across the state. And like you said, empowering local leadership who are visible, right. But also accessible, right. And relatable helps to make it much easier, right. Much more digestible when things more
1: successful. It was not going to be (laughs) successful if I tried to do it from Baton Rouge in every corner of the state.
2: I think it also would not have been successful if we hadn't really collaborated with and built capacity at the childcare owner or leader level. When I reflect on what we did years ago, I think our biggest success and/or the biggest factor in our overall success was the support, the Buy in and getting the buy in of those local childcare owners. They're predominantly women owned small businesses. At least in my parish, they're predominantly women of color. And they were passionate about what they were doing. They had been in business for many years and they had seen different QRIS systems come and go. And we really had to work with them to focus on, as you guys said, what really matters most, and that's those interactions in the classroom. And it said at owner and leadership level of child care that we saw the least amount of turnover and thus that opportunity. So we had to build their capacity to learn about class, mm-hmm. to actually be able to complete, and even if it wasn't an official formal observation on class, it was an observation of their own teachers to be able to support their teachers' buy-in, and as Nasha said, to really have a laser focus on what is important. So huge investment in those childcare owners and leaders to be able to increase quality within their own classrooms. I'm um, um, so just
1: being modest, but this was actually a huge innovation that came out of Jefferson Parish, where she started really investing resources in training and turning childcare directors into experts in class. Some of the most expert folks in class in Louisiana are directors in Jefferson and New Orleans and Rapides and other parts of the state. And they use that lens not just when it comes to coaching their teachers or observing their teachers, but also in hiring and making other strategic decisions about quality in their centers and their programs. And this is not just a childcare director component, but also in some of our most rural parts of the state where we don't have that much childcare. This -hmm. was also a really helpful tool to get principals invested in the early learning classrooms in their school systems and a really effective way For them to see, oh, this is what a quality preschool classroom looks like. And here's what I'm supporting my teachers and the coaches and others in my school building to help achieve.
2: Wonderful.
0: Yeah, I think when we rolled this out, it was 2012. So yeah, it's been like 10 years,
1: (laughs) right? Right. Um,
0: 2012 was
1: when the law passed. And then it (laughs) took until about 2015 to fully get to sort of scaled statewide implementation. So we piloted for a few years.
0: Yeah, but it's just seeing the empowerment, you know, for childcare facilities, right? Who really felt on the outer, you know, outskirts of the work that they did. And this system really empowered them, right? It made them knowledgeable. It made them, you know, it leveled the playing field for them. They really elevated their sense of professionalism, not just as a facility, but also their teachers, right? Like, so it it was so much more than that you know, there's this pride, right? It wasn't just, they weren't leaving for Head Start anymore because they saw the value, right? And the quality in where they were, right? So it it had so much more of an impact (laughs) than what it initially rolled out to do. So yes, that the childcare facilities and that buy-in from the directors and just using them as, you know, resources that they are was integral, just like Sarintha said.
2: And we're continuing to look at them as resources as we begin to think about how to increase access to quality. You know, you mentioned in the beginning, you know, there was some real innovative things that Louisiana ruled out and there's always challenges, right? So one of the challenges is that we're working with those programs that are publicly funded. How do we increase publicly funded programs? How do we get buy-in now from programs that are not accepting or using public dollars? How do we increase that access so that more of our children, higher percentages of our eligible children can access quality. And one of the things we are looking at in the upcoming year or two is partnering with some of our faith-based programs that maybe aren't publicly funded, or we're also really looking harder and beginning to partner with family child care. But our child care directors, who are experts on class, who are trained to be trainers on class, who are trained in making the most of classroom interactions, or I always use the old term, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, that class-based coaching that they're all trained and certified in as well. But thinking about that expertise and using that as expertise, as we think about this new phase of how we increase access. So they are our experts and we have an upcoming session where we're convening our Latino serving organizations because we realize we have to build Access for our Spanish-speaking children and families and our child care experts, they are part of that initiative to really think about how we increase access across our parish now that we've looked harder at where we have gaps in access to quality. I love
1: that because what you're saying. I mean, so many, so much of what you're saying is amazing, but also what you're saying is that that focus on adult-child interactions is going to drive the next phase of the work, right? We're not just going to bring on new providers. We're not just going to add new initiatives. As we're thinking about what's next and what's next and what's next, we're returning to that focused QRIS and saying we know what matters is adult-child interactions. So as we're increasing access as we're adding more spots and more providers and partnering differently, we're still going to rely on that expertise that we built and make sure that it's part of whatever sustainable change comes next.
0: Lots of great things continue to happen (laughs) in Louisiana.
1: (laughs) So in
0: all of this, right, and you guys said so much, I feel like this could be a couple of sessions because there's just so much wealth of knowledge, right, for you to share with people who are trying to move their systems into a more equitable evaluation system. What lessons from what happened in Louisiana, what lessons would you want to share out to anybody thinking about um, making this shift to their QRIS systems?
1: I think we've talked about a number of lessons, but the one thing I want to make sure, you know, on top of what we started with and, and what's in the white paper, one thing I want to make sure to emphasize is that, you know, we refined the system without changing its focus multiple times. And that came from saying, you know, we're trying something new, we're piloting it. You all are our partners in implementation. Tell us what's working and what's not and how we can make this better. But it also came, so it came from feedback, but it also came from looking at our data. So we made sure that as part of implementing and scaling, we had real-time, easy access to data about the number of classrooms the number of observations the reliability of that those observations we were running analytics on that daily we were providing that information back to the field and we were asking lots of questions of that data to help us make sure whenever we took the next steps and the next steps we were doing it really intentionally and being responsive to building a better system each time and we never I'm not saying we changed the system year after year. The bedrock was there, but we made it better. We made it more tighter. We made it something that people could have more and more increased sort of confidence in the ratings and what they were doing with their money as a result of the rating. One big thing that I will say we did that was a real shift for the system is we had started with preschool and toddler class. And we increasingly started hearing from directors and from infant teachers, teachers of infant classrooms, we wanna be part of this too. We wanna be getting this feedback. We wanna be able to get the same kind of professional development and incentives. We wanna know what we're doing right and where we can improve. So really the, the drive to get to adding infant classrooms in our quality rating and improvement system sort of metric like this came from folks who wanted to be part of, a quality rating and improvement system. And so we we did a pilot, we looked at our data, we figured out, you know, what works implementation-wise and not, and then we added it sort of system-wide. So all of the things that I sort of said previously about looking at data, getting feedback, being able to have a responsive system is really necessary regardless of what you sort of define as your north star of quality, define it and then make sure you're working sort of year over year to make your system to getting to that North Star better. Wonderful. I
2: think the other big piece is once states have defined that North Star and have that laser focus on what quality looks like, how do we measure it? How do we improve it? How do we direct all resources to it? I think the other big piece of that is thinking about, as Nasha previously said, is actually addressing it and implementing it at some kind of local or regional level, not simply from the state level. And it's defining it, what is should it look like, and then partnering with either a local or a regional network of entities so that there is that local buy-in, that's that local individualizing. Not that you're changing the system, but you're giving locals the opportunity to figure out how to roll it out in a way that makes sense. Because as we've said, people may not know, but Jefferson Parish is basically surrounds Orleans and New Orleans. So we're predominantly small cities or suburban. We look very different, of course, than some of the rural parishes, even, you know, 10 minutes away. And all of those parishes and they're unique or all the counties in a state have that unique geography, unique makeup, all those factors that make them unique are the reason that they need some kind of local control for rollout and some kind of local control on where resources are designated. Still laser focused on interactions, what matters most in classrooms, but lots of flexibility in how to make it happen with local leadership and local control. Yeah, I would say
1: it's a balance, right? Like there are some things you need to define at the state level to give everyone confidence that the rating in Jefferson is the same as the rating in Rapids is the same as the rating in Madison in wherever sort of part of the state. There's some things that we had to build into our rules around what you need to be an observer? How are you reporting this information? How are you doing checks to make sure that these observers are reliable? How are you sort of using your funding to make this happen? And at the same time, not being overly prescriptive from the state for a model that people ultimately don't have flexibility, as Sorintha said, to say, okay, this is what the state's defining as a North Star. This is what they're saying we have to do to get there. You know, these are sort of the things we have to meet. What are we going to do? Who are we going to pull? What are our best ways to use our relationships, the structures that we have in our part of the state? Because as we all know, Head Start grantees vary from different parts of the state, right? And partnerships look different. What a school system is or is not taking on or is responsible for will look different. What resources are available from nonprofits or other community partners will look different. And so how folks are able to pull those resources put together the best plan, identify the right messengers, and the right sort of process and stakes and calendars, that matters. It matters so much for the success of the work, and it ultimately leads to more, not less innovation in the state.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. So, Sorrento, I'm going to come back to you, <laughs> right? Boots on the ground. Talk more in depth for our listeners about what the move to a state-local partnership in The Louisiana QRIS meant for your parish? And just talk to us about how that rollout went.
2: Well, I like to think that we're still rolling things out. You know, (laughs) in early care and education, the landscape is always changing. We always have work to do, but we're always committed to that work and excited about new features of it and new components. But I I do think the initial rollout, uh, what we spent a lot of time on were the relationships and it was about building the trust, right? Trusting one another, trusting that funds were going to be allocated in ways that made the most sense for our parish. It was difficult in the beginning because as I mentioned, it was a diverse group of programs who thought they were competing with one another. And, you know, we all... We all know it's still challenging in early care and education. We're still working on appropriate compensation for our child care teachers so that we can reduce turnover. But it is worth the time. It is worth the effort. It's worth the energy. It's worth the attention needed. And if, and people just can't, skip that important first step about building those relationships. And I think you said it, that it's sort of, things sort of fell into place after that. It, it didn't feel like they ever would, but we really had to work on those relationships and, you know, really remind one another that we were all in this for children and families. And ultimately what we... Seen is increased access to high quality early care and education across all of our different partner types. We see exceptional quality in childcare. We see it in early Head Start and Head Start. We see it in our parochial schools and we see it in our public school systems programs. And we are continuing that work to increase that access to high quality. We are looking at our childcare deserts. We're looking at especially those places, and you know, let's be brutally honest. There's still some places that after these many years have been resistant yes. and they have not increased quality. So we really need to look at, and that's you know, our current initiatives. Why have some places made great progress when it comes to moving the needle on quality as measured by class and other places have not? And we need to figure out why. How how do we provide different supports? Because it worked in some places and it didn't work in others. And we know that existing early care and education providers that are of lower quality have to be a critical focus moving forward. And we know how important it is for those children to be in places with better interactions on a day-to-day basis. So we still have a lot of work to do and we will probably be going back to those relationships. Did, Hmm. Did we not build sufficient relationships with those certain providers? And if we didn't, why not? What do we need to do different?
0: I love that and I love that you said that cuz that's where I was going to go. I was going to be like, "Well, Samantha, you know where <laughs> you know what we have to look at first." those relationships, right? right? What are the barriers to that, that trust, right? What happened? And so you, you said exactly what it was. What is that resistance? Yeah, I could agree that what happened in Louisiana really moved the needle. I mean, enough so that so many states are like, Hey, what are they doing down there? Right. <laughs> it's become a model. So apparently way bigger success than you want to give it, right? You're, you're like, yeah, we have so much to go. We've done a lot and people see it like the nation, like across the country, they see it because it has been of interest what's happening down here, because the shift is very obvious in what's happened in our early care networks here in Louisiana. So
1: yeah, I think even the fact that Sarintha can sit here and tell you, here's what's going on in my head starts versus my child care versus my preschool. Here's how many classrooms I have. Here's how many kids they're serving. Here's the areas of my very large parish where there are gaps and challenges here's what we're doing to make a plan to address them. I think that extraordinary leadership is rare, right, in the nation. And being able to sort of have that kind of understanding of a community landscape and plan for what comes next is just really exceptional. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other great byproducts of all this, right? <laughs> you found all
0: these wonderful gems across the state that may not have been recognized, right? Because that what you're doing, Samantha, is a skill, that it's not, <laughs> it's not something that everybody can do, um, especially successfully. And so it's been nice, I think, in my time, just identifying and seeing just all of these amazing people and all these skills that they've brought to the work um, that we may not have been able to see otherwise and the resource because I I met so many great people who have been such amazing resources with I mean just wealth of knowledge like the things that they brought to the table and that they've shared with others and I'm just like wow we should have connected way before this. so like why is this how we're meeting right so I I think in all of this and across all the networks because it's not just the networks you know by locality the networks all work together as well as a collective so it's not isolated. The state is really working as a whole together to make sure that our students get the best type of care across the whole state. So
2: Never quite thought about it that way, but yes, the the state has supported that we are a network of networks, right? So we do. The state supports network leaders coming together, learning from one another, and A parish or county might look very different, but they have an idea, and it sparks an idea, and it might look different for us, but my goodness, I just got great ideas from a local network that looks very different from mine. And I tell you, as we move forward, one of, because you talked about people having skills and building skills over time, is where we're moving now is scary to a lot of us because we're thinking about being more in the community, working more with businesses. You know, we have really had to think about, and particularly with the global pandemic, we have really seen how critical early care and education is, not just as an education issue or a family issue, but it's really been clear of late that it is a workforce issue, which makes it an economic development issue. So our network leaders are really moving more into other aspects of our community that we're not necessarily comfortable with, right? We're starting to push ourselves outside of our current comfort zone to the next level, because if we're going to increase capacity for our most deserving children, we really have to think differently, because we need other funding sources, we need other partnerships. And yeah, so we'll take new skills on our part, but the state's right, they are supporting our networks to do that different work.
1: And ideally learning, right? I mean, like the amount that I have learned from Sarantha, from Cindy Rushing, who was supposed to join us Mm -hmm. today, from other leaders in all of like Louisiana doing the work day in and day out, um, and what that means for the state system. It really should be like multi-levels of learning and collaboration. And you talked so much about relationships, Sarintha, and building them. And I agree with the point that the relationship building isn't just community level, it's also state level. And from the state agency perspective, it should be with your local leadership. Almost everyone who worked you know, on the, on this work in Louisiana had my cell phone number, could call me or reach me anytime they needed. And I truly felt like I was a thought partner to them. And really valued those opportunities and those relationships that I was able to build with folks who were who were the true leaders of this work. Beautiful.
0: Uh, like I said, the time has gone by so fast, but I still have one more question. <laughs> as more states make this shift to focus on teacher-child interactions as a key marker of quality, what do you hope the impact will be for children and educators?
1: I'd like to see more focus in the early childhood system. I think our system is so underfunded. There are not enough teachers. There are not enough directors. There are not enough spots, not enough centers. There's not enough money at any level of this system, right? Either to serve kids or to run a system. And so when you think about it in that perspective, there's, you know, a million things we could tackle at any given moment. And how do we start to build our focus and our sequence and our set of steps? First, we do this, then we do this, then we do this and we're building to get to what our North Star is. So that's the first thing is that I would like for our system as a whole to focus so that we can make sure we're actually driving towards outcomes for kids. That the experience in the classroom, both for teachers and for children is changing markedly year over year. And the second thing I would say is that I think so much of this conversation in early childhood is fragmented, driven by an extremely fragmented funding landscape. And you know, a three-year-old is a three-year-old is a three-year-old. It's the thing we say in Louisiana all the time. At the end of the day, children and families, they aren't so nervous or so worried about which funding stream is making their seat happen. They wanna access a high quality seat. They want a teacher who cares about their kids. They want a director who's proud of the experience that they're offering to families, and it's our job as a system to take on the complexities of multiple funding streams with different eligibility requirements and different program requirements and quality definitions, and get to whatever sort of a state has said is this is the experience we want to provide for every child at one, two, three, four before kindergarten that that if that family wants a spot, and so you know starting to move away from program and fiscal silos and definitions of quality or definitions of experience by program or funding stream. And instead moving towards, we have an early childhood system. We use it to serve as many kids as want spots and as we can serve before kindergarten. And here's how we're using the different numbers of funding streams or different amounts of funding, different partners, different resources or levers that we can pull to try to make that happen. And I think in Louisiana that's one of the most powerful parts of this work is that childcare head start public and non-public preschool is at the same table as part of the same conversation around what we're trying to make happen for kids and for families and for teachers and providers and so on. So yeah, I think that that's really important part of the family experience that I don't want to leave out of any conversation of quality.
0: Thank you so much Nasha.
2: Sarintha. Well, I just love listening to Nasha. Um, She said it so beautifully. I'm sitting here thinking, I'm not sure I have a lot to add, but just to maybe reiterate what she said is as states are thinking about using class or interactions as the sole focus or whatever their North store is, is, you know, the bigger picture of a system is so critical. I mean, if we were able to talk to legislators at the national level, our, our federal folks, it's about how do we create one system for all children? And In Louisiana, I think we've done a good job of trying to make it look like one system for families. From the family perspective, we have one common enrollment system. You apply once, and we know which program you might qualify for. But we're still piecing it together on the back end. We are still working with this system who's got early Head Start funds, that system who's got Head Start funds, yet another system that has, you know. So we're trying to pull it together at a network level. And I think, you know, states trying to figure it out would be helpful, but I know that it requires work at even a higher level. But I think ultimately that's where we have to go as a system who is really focused on all children in our country.
0: Wonderful. I thank you guys so much for joining me today. <laughs> it, you guys, I feel like we get to duck, like talk for a couple more hours, but we only have a short amount of time <laughs> for this podcast. So don't be surprised if we actually come back <laughs> at another time. You can find today's episode and transcript on our website, teachtone.com impacting. And as always behind great leading and teaching are powerful interactions. Let's build that culture together. Again, thank you guys so much. Thank
2: you. Thank you for having us.